Good afternoon. Good afternoon. So today, if you have your Bibles or if you have a cell phone with you or as a tablet of some sort, uh, let's go ahead and turn to Mark chapter one. Uh, we are going to be in Mark chapter one, verse 21, going to verse 28. Also, if you have the Mission Hills app, you can go to the notes section. And in the notes section there, you can follow along with an outline for the scripture, uh, as well as take notes. And you can email those to yourself or save them right in the app for further perusing later on. So I'm going to read the scripture, and I'm reading from the Christian Standard Version of the Bible. And it's also going to be on the screen to my left here. And it reads like this. They, the disciples, went into Capernaum. And right away, he, Jesus, entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and began to teach. They were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them as one who had authority and not like the scribes. We're going to return to that word authority in a little bit. Verse 23, just then a man with an unclean spirit was in their synagogue. He cried out, what do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit threw him into convulsions, shouted with a loud voice, and came out of the man, or came out of him. They were all amazed, and so they began to ask each other, what is this? A new teaching with authority? Exclamation point. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once, the news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity of Galilee. So in the book of Mark, Mark is special because he has this way of moving the narrative swiftly. In fact, he uses this common word, this common refrain immediately in the NIV and the ESV translations. And he uses that word immediately, not necessarily as a marker of time, but as a marker of pacing. And so he's saying they immediately did this or they immediately did that. Now, in verses 1 through 20 of Mark chapter 1, Mark does something unique. He does something different than the other Gospels do. He takes three pretty important events in the life of Jesus and he condenses them down into 20 verses. What he does is he takes John heralding, heralding the, the coming of Christ. He has the baptism of Jesus and he, he does Jesus' calling of his first disciples all within 20 verses. But Luke, in comparison, takes those three events and spends four chapters going through those same events. And so Luke, in chapter 4, starting around the 30th verse or 31st verse, he comes to where we are today in Mark chapter 1, verse 21. And he has this man coming and entering into a synagogue who is demon-possessed. But he has an encounter with Jesus. And that encounter is powerful and unique. You see, in our passage this afternoon, uh, in this 21 through 28 verse 
it's what you call, what scholars call an exorcism story. And in the exorcism story, there, there usually is four parts of that exorcism story. One, the first part is the encounter with the demon, which we see that in verse 23. The next part is that the demon's defense. And then the third part is the exorcism or the casting out of the demon itself. And the fourth part is the effect on the observers of the exorcism. Now, the key word for us to pay attention to in these these seven, eight verses is the word authority. Authority is brought up twice in the passage. At the very beginning in verse 22 and at the very end in verse 27. And so for a few minutes, I would like for us to be amazed like the synagogue observers at Jesus's authority by considering how his authority empowers him to act. And so for our short time together, I want us to think about four actions from Jesus that are connected to his authority. Action one. In his authority, Jesus declares truth. In his authority, Jesus declares truth. We get that out of verses 21 and 22. It says, they went into Capernaum and right away he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and began to teach. And they were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them as one who had authority and not like the scribes. First thing we encounter here is Capernaum. Capernaum was this bustling town on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee. And so it was known for its fishing industry. And in this community, there was uh, a gathering of merchants and artisans and scribes. And so it wasn't this little podunk, podunk town. It was, it was rather happening. And so Jesus was there. And it, we also go to find out that he goes to a synagogue. Now, a synagogue is different than the temple. Uh, the synagogue is where you would teach. And so think of it as a teaching center or a, a great space for a Sunday school class, if you will. And so there, Jesus, when he enters in, he goes to teach from the Old Testament scriptures. And from there, he teaches. And it says that they are astonished at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority. And then Mark does this play, this contrast or highlights this contrast between Jesus and his authoritative teaching and the teaching of the scribes. Now, scribes were not just people who copied the scripture. No, they were, think of them as the PhDs of the Old Testament uh, of that day. And so they had all of this knowledge. They were the scholars. They, they knew how to give commentary on the law, on the Old Testament. And so Mark is contrasting the two of them to highlight Jesus's, uh, his authoritative teaching, his teaching that was clear and that was powerful and impactful. Now, one pastor, Pastor John MacArthur, he characterizes Jesus' teaching as being clear and concrete, that his teaching was absolute and not arbitrary, that his teaching was logical and not evasive, his teaching was uh, concrete and not esoteric or highfalutin, his teaching was reasonable, systematic, not mystical or muddled, and his teaching 
was clear by way of illustrations and progression, not confusing or allegorical. And his teaching had a conviction of truthfulness, not merely suggestion. I want us to pause there and think about that, that his teaching was truthful. I believe that what made his teaching so astonishing to these people is that, that it was truthful. And not only that it was truthful, but it came from the one who is truth. You see in John chapter 1 verse 14, he says that uh, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and that he was full of both grace and truth. And so Jesus, in his authority, declared or declares truth. Action number two. In his authority, Jesus disrupts the kingdom of darkness. He disrupts the kingdom of darkness. Let's read in verse 23 here. It says, just then a man with an unclean spirit was in their synagogue. He cried out, what do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? And my thought to myself is, oh, you betcha. And I know who you are, the Holy One of God. You see, anytime we begin to talk about the demonic, in our modern day, there are two reactions, particularly around believers and even non-believers. The first reaction is, or one of the reactions, is to dismiss this idea of the demonic, of, of Satan. We dismiss it because we think it's antiquated, that we think that there's no space for that in this world. That's just some people being silly uh, in their thoughts. And so we dismiss the idea of the demonic and of the satanic. But then there is another reaction. That other reaction is to tremble, is to be afraid. And so I want to I encourage you to think that both of those reactions are wrong that neither should we dismiss or should we tremble at the thought of the demonic. But what we should do as believers in Jesus is we should have confidence in the king of heaven because he has come to disrupt the kingdom of darkness. In fact, not only to disrupt it, but to dismantle it. And so what Jesus does with this man here who is, who is full of demons uh, they ask this question. They say in some translation in the NLT, the New Living Translation, they say, have you come to interfere with us? And I think to myself, oh, yes, he has. He's come to mess you up. He's come to put you in your place, which is under his foot. And so when he says, he, has he come to interfere with us or in the CSB translation when it says, what have you come to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth, that it already shows you that these demons are taking a posture of one getting ready to do battle because they are fearful. Now, if you notice when it says next that have you come to destroy us or and and I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Some people think that when they're calling out the Holy One of God being his title, that, that it's this idea uh, that, that they are trying to defend themselves. Because in the ancient Near East, any time that spirits came into interaction with each other, they would try to overcome the other spirit by invoking the name of that spirit. And so by trying to call him the Holy One of God, they are trying to overcome him or defeat Jesus. And so Jesus says, oh, no, 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 I'm not having any of that. He, in fact, he has come to disrupt. And 
the next action is, is that the way that Jesus fights back or fires back at the demons is that he demands obedience from them in verse 25. Because verse 25 says that Jesus rebuked him, the man and the demons, and he says what? Be silent. He tells them to be quiet, not just because they were getting on his nerves and annoying him, but because they were literally trying to do battle with him. And he's like, I don't got time for this. You are a peon to me. You are a gnat in comparison to the power that I hold within me. And so he says, be silent. And then he commands them to come out of him. Come out. I love that. I love that because it it stirs me to see Jesus uh, in his brilliance, in his majesty and in all of his power to just demand something of them. And he demands obedience from these demonic powers. And so not only does Jesus disrupt the kingdom of darkness, he dismantles it by demanding obedience from the demons. The fourth action and final one that I see in this text is that in his authority, Jesus demonstrates his ultimate power. Now, I told you that in Luke, there is a parallel account of this passage in Luke chapter 4. And in Luke chapter 4, verse 36, it says, For he commands the unclean spirits with authority and power, and they come out. That's Luke. But in the CSB of Mark chapter 1, verse 27, it says, They were all amazed, and so they began to ask each other, What is this? A new teaching with authority? Exclamation point. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once, the news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity of Galilee. Jesus dealing with this man who is demon-possessed, is ultimately uh, displaying his power. He's showing himself to be mighty. In fact, if we think back to last week when when Pastor David preached, and he preached on uh, the the passage where uh, in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, he says the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. You see, when Jesus has come, what he's doing by casting this demon out of this man is he is announcing to the world that the kingdom of God has coming near, has come near. And not only is he announcing it, but he's demonstrating it because what's happening is he's pushing back the darkness and bringing in the light. And so he has demonstrated this ultimate power here by casting this man out, this demon out of this man. So what should be our response then to all of this? What should be our response to Jesus's authority that declares truth and disrupts darkness and demands obedience and demonstrates ultimate power? It should be definite, wholehearted, certain surrender. That should be our personal response today that you and I, that we in the power and display of the power of Jesus and all of heaven should bow down. We should bow down. We should tremble with a holy fear before the king of heaven. That should be our posture. In fact, whenever I think about surrendering and I think about authority, I think about uh, the feudal lords of England. And so what would happen is, is that when individuals would come to bow to the feudal lords of England, uh, they would bow the knee. And that is how they would show that they were placing themselves 
in possession of that Lord. You see, for us today, as we recognize the right authority of Jesus Christ, the King of heaven, the King of majesty, you and I, we must bow the knee. We must surrender. We've got to surrender our passions, our hopes, our joys. But not only do we surrender those good things, we also get to empty ourselves of the things that hold us back, the things that plague us. And we bring them to him and we say, Lord, do what you will with these things. We surrender. We surrender because his power has been displayed, but we also surrender because his love has been displayed. John chapter 3, I'm sure you know the verse that I'm about to quote, 16, verse 16. For God so loved the world, it never gets old, that he gave his one and his only begotten son. You see, because his power has been displayed and because his love has been displayed, we can trust that his authority is not one that will oppress us, but it is one that will bring us near. And we can take great comfort in that that he displays his power, but that he has displayed his love for us and that we can be a part of the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I thank you that you have come in authority and power and that you are not weak. You are not trivial. You cannot be pushed over. You cannot be turned away. But Lord, you stand firm in you stand, you stand firm in, in the face of darkness and you push it back. You dismantle it. You disrupt it. We say thank you for that. But Lord, in your authority, you've also invited us to bow the knee, to surrender. And so, Jesus, we give you our lives. We pray this now in your name. Amen.